Welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on how Buffy has matured since its premiere in 1997. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Homework? Cheerleading practice? Killing vampires? No one said high school would be easy. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Uh, This is Stefan Cara's review of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the 1992 film. The thing that started it all. Without this film, we would not have the TV series. It's true, and that's actually unbelievable to me after I, I watched know, they're, it. I know, they're so different, right? So different. Tone, pacing, everything was just completely different. Had you seen it before when you were young? I had seen. I think I've seen it at least twice. I seem to recall watching it pretty young. I can't remember if it was before or after I had seen the TV series. And then I think I watched it again, kind of in my early 20s. I don't again, I don't remember exactly when I had apparently very little memory of it because a lot of what I remembered (laughs) ended up being not quite accurate. And it's just one of those movies where when I was watching it this time, I'm like, well, this is a bad movie. In terms of, like, objectively, like, if you're watching it, it's a bad movie. But it's still an enjoyable movie, right? Like, it's so bad it's good, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's definitely, like, of a certain taste. <laughs> if you're going to watch a film like this, I think you should know that you're getting into something that's kind of a comedy, like a screwball comedy, but also kind of a horror. Like, it doesn't really land in where it wants to be and what exactly. it wants to be. Exactly. So that is a bit off-putting, but I watched this movie a lot when I was a kid. Oh. I did, like when I was a kid, because my cousin owned the VHS, and we would just put it on, and we would just watch it. So I was still pretty familiar when I rewatched it earlier this week, but it's just so weird now that I'm so involved with Buffy the television show. It's just weird to go back and remember this movie, Mm -hmm. and I used to think this movie was so good. (laughs) <laughs> I did like when I was a kid I was like yeah. wow this movie like kicks ass it's awesome but now that I've seen what true awesome is in the television show it's not even the first early draft of what the television show is it's not even the dry run of what the show ended up being absolutely I think this is the perfect movie to watch with some friends you know grab some popcorn uh, either socially distanced or in person if you're all vaccinated um, grab some popcorn <laughs> Grab some something good to drink and just enjoy it for what it is, right? Like yeah. laugh at the funny parts, cringe at the cringy parts. Um, this is a movie that could only have been made in the early nineties. Yes, it's it's very of its time. It got mild to negative reviews at the box office, uh, but I I do believe the fact that I watched it on VHS. I think it did have a moderately successful VHS release and run, which is probably what sparked the interest in making it into a television show. So, mm-hmm. well, maybe we should let the listeners who haven't seen the movie or need a quick reminder, we can give them a bit of a summary. 
Excellent. I happen to have one I prepared earlier. Wonderful. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a 1992 film. So just to give our listeners context, I was three years old when this movie came out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it was directed by Fran Rebel uh, Kazooie. And Fran and her husband Kaz ended up being executive producers of later Buffy properties and spinoffs, but they didn't actually have any like direct uh, creative involvement in those properties. They were just kind of attached. Um, so, you know, this, this film was directed by a woman. Um, however, according to Joss Whedon, who's the one who created the Buffy concept and he wrote the film, uh, he says that Kazooie is the one who kind of like turned his vision of Buffy as an empowered cheerleader who fights vampires into the com- the more comedic take that we see in the movie. Mm-hmm. So when you said earlier, Steph, that this movie can't decide like what it is, uh, is it going to be light and fluffy or is it going to be like darker, more serious? That's so obvious when you like when you watch the movie, I completely agree with you. And I think that's the reason why, right? Is because the writer and the director of the movie fundamentally disagreed with what the movie should be. Well, isn't that so funny too? But Joss Whedon did the same thing to Justice League when he took it over from Zack Snyder <laughs> not mm. too long ago, where it's like, okay, are you going to be funny or are you going to be dark and gritty? Like, what what is it? So it's a balancing act. Yeah. So the movie stars Christy Swanson as Buffy Summers. Uh, and I don't know what else christy swanson has been in big daddy okay (laughs) uh and canadian donald sutherland as buffy's watcher mary president snow yep (laughs) uh rutger hauer uh and paul rubens play the two main antagonists the vampires and uh i had no idea who paul rubens was until i was you know doing a little bit of the cast research here Mostly because I had to try to figure out who Luke Perry is because I did not recognize him. <laughs> um, I know. I I'm, I'm sorry, Steph. <laughs> um, Paul Rubens, as I'm sure many people know, is Pee Wee Herman. When you look, when you know that and you look at him, you can see the face, right? Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. oh my God, like what an interesting casting choice. Um, so here's, here's the summary. Buffy is a high school senior, difference, in mm. Los Angeles. And while initially skeptical when trench-coated watcher Merrick shows up and calls her the Chosen One, uh, she is eventually won over. Thanks to her PMS spidey sense and her Slayer-enhanced gymnastic abilities, Buffy can stake it till she makes it. (laughs) To the school dance, that is. Uh, But not before Rutger Hauer kills Merrick in front of Buffy, thus giving her the necessary emotional motivation to fight even better uh spoilers by the way for the whole movie i hope you watched it already people (laughs) uh so buffy is backed up by who i learned is luke perry okay as some dude and she faces off first against one-armed vampire version of peewee herman uh (laughs) and then against his master uh also Something I totally had no memory of because I probably didn't know who she was when I first watched the, this movie. But Hilary Swank is in it as I one of Buffy's know. ditzy friends. When you're watching this film uh, in 2021, you're looking at it and you're like, it can't be. It, yeah. Surely it can't be. And it is. It's Hilary Swank. I, I think, is she the only, no, I guess, 
I guess Donald Sutherland and okay, maybe no, Rucker Howard. You missed it then. You missed it. Did you not see Ben Affleck? No. Ben Affleck was one of the basketball players. Oh, wow. Okay, so there's a few actors who escaped this this movie, uh, <laughs> made it out of the 90s with their careers intact. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, it was just, first her name came up, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And then Hilary Swank's character shows up pretty quickly in the movie, and, and she's just so different from the Hilary Swank characters we see nowadays, right? Like, Donald Sutherland's character is very similar to other Donald Sutherland characters. You know, Rutger Hauer is all about playing the bad guys, like... That stuff isn't surprising, but seeing Hillary Swank as a ditzy teenager, uh, that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, I also want to point out that um, the movie has a speaking role for a black character uh, played by Paris Vaughn, who plays one of Buffy's friends, Nikki. And uh, that's more black speaking roles than there are in the whole first season of Buffy. <laughs> so true such a good point yeah in in some ways this movie's a little bit more progressive (laughs) yeah uh anyway so that's my summary of the movie and i think we've kind of both discussed our specific impressions so some interesting differences in the lore in this movie one of the most obvious ones would be the vampires look different which i think whatever we can kind of gloss over that but also, as you and I disputed in an earlier episode of Prophecy Girls, they can fly, or at least float. The bet! Our infamous bet that in the harvest, I believe, we made it. <laughs> yeah, so we wagered um, a silver cross necklace, like the one that Angel gives to Buffy. <laughs> yeah. And I formally concede the bet to you, Steph. I was wrong. This was one of many things I misremembered about the movie. Um, I did remember the period pains. You did, yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. just so weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, I concede yeah. in this movie the vampires could float. Praise Moloch! I have won the bet! <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You know, uh, it really could have gone both ways. Like, were they flying or were they floating? The point is, they, they could levitate for a while up in yes, the air. Yes, I agree. Yeah. There is no ambiguity here. I was yeah. wrong. You were right. <laughs> Don't get used to me saying that. I mean, I'll, I'll take it in now. I'll relish it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it is weird that they could do that. And the way that they depicted the vampires, like they had their fangs and they were chalky. They, uh-huh. they would wear a lot of leather and they're like dominatrix-like in a lot of ways. And Very and goth. Goth. A lot campier than the vampires we see. Not by not by too much, but for yeah. sure a little more campier. I, I mean, let's wait until we get to Spike, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, so I actually do have a theory to explain why these vampires seem somewhat different from the ones we see in the series. I came up with this theory while I was watching the movie. So um, the, the main vampire baddie played by Riker Howard is named Lothos, and he's Apparently been around for a long time. He was around for the Crusades. So apparently he's even older than the Master. Damn. Um, But looking a lot better. I guess he's (laughs) using that anti-aging cream. Yeah. (laughs) So Lothos uh, has really leaned into the Dracula aesthetic with the, like, red and black cape and, you know, living in a creepy cathedral-like building and sleeping in a coffin. So my theory is that, you know, Lothos and the vampires who follow him, they're just part of like a like a really uh, separate cult of vampires, right? So like the master has his followers mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then Lothos is just like another master vampire who has his followers. Uh, and they've really bought into the whole Dracula thing, right? Like Lothos probably looked a lot different in the past. Actually, we saw that in the movie in the flashbacks. Um, so, you know, back when Bram Stoker published Dracula, uh, Lothos probably was like, this is great. I'm going to take <laughs> this aesthetic. I'm going to like, that's how I'm going to dress from now on. Uh, and I'm going to chalk up the floating and the other sort of weird abilities that the Buffy TV series vampires can have. I'm going to say that's just witchcraft, right? So like, mm. we know witchcraft exists. Maybe vampires can learn magic, right? And there's probably a spell that lets you float. So I exactly, feel like, yeah. you know, these are just a very specific cult of vampires who've learned some fancy magic tricks uh, and are really kind of going for the goth Dracula vampire look. Yeah. Uh, that's... And, and I like I like to think of that, that like the master knows about Lothos and just like really hates this guy, right? He's like, right. oh, that Lothos, he's so flashy. Just because he's not trapped in a hell cave. He's like, this is their LA vampire vibe, but I'm old school Europe. You know, like I, yeah. I'm the original and you're the reboot and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I bet there's some fanfic out there. I bet Lothos and the Master have met in the fanfic <laughs> somewhere. Well, just oh, in comparison, so cool. I mean, the Master is a better villain than Lothos. Yeah, in my opinion. he's such yeah. a disappointing villain because he just like he shows up. You know, once or twice, and he's like, she's not ready yet. And so this is another difference, right, is uh, in the movie, Merrick and Buffy are like reincarnations of the one Watcher and the one Slayer throughout history. Lothos has been killing Buffy's past incarnations throughout <laughs> history. generations. <laughs> yeah, and so it's like... You know, now with this version, he's waiting until she's ready because this is kind of like how he gets his rocks off. Yeah. Um, and Merrick is like, well, I'm going to prepare you, but I can't interfere. That was really weird to me to see that lore, like, like just about Merrick's character in general. It's like, so, okay, so he just comes back to life over and over and over again. Like, does he come back as a kid or is he coming back as his self? Also, he's a watcher. But there appears to be no Watcher's Council. It just seems like he's rogue. It just seems like that's his destiny on his own uh, to mm -hmm. train the Slayer over and over again. And then, yeah, just from the flashbacks, it appears the Slayer's always Buffy over mm -hmm. and over and over again. But he does make a comment that uh, in this case, the Slayer is exceptional. And mm -hmm. nothing we've seen has from the movie has <laughs> really proven that. Buffy in the show is exceptional. <laughs> But I nothing... mean, to be fair, like, I don't know if Christy Swanson's actually a gymnast, but that those are some pretty good moves sure. that she puts on there or her stunt double. I don't know yeah. what's going on there, but no, that's fair. Like, she was very acrobatic, um, which is yeah. great to see. But I don't know. But then again, it's really unfair to compare Sarah Michelle Geller to Christy Swanson because Sarah Michelle Geller gets seven years to span out yes. this character. Christy doesn't. She gets an hour and a half or whatever Agreed. hour long the movie is. Uh, but yeah, that 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 mythos is definitely changed in the in the movie and just for the bad guys in general. Like, it's so much smarter to go with old school Nesferatu look mm -hmm. for the master <laughs> and then versus the Dracula look for Lothos, like you're saying. I think the actual villain and the one that stole the show was Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> like his his villain. I mean, he's great comic relief. Um, the one thing other than the PMSing that I accurately <laughs> remembered 
is his death scene. His epic death scene. Right? I love it. The greatest death scene in all of cinema, in my opinion. I agree. <laughs> I, I am 100% with you on this, Steph. So it's good. It's so good. And and I I have to assume <laughs> that was improvised. Ooh, ah, like, e. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I, I can't imagine that they scripted Brilliant. that. I have to imagine that she stabbed him. And he started doing that thinking, you know, they would just cut and redo it. So and, good. and I'm sure that, you know, the director or whoever was just like, no, we're just going to keep this take. Yeah. <laughs> just keep going. It was uh, so good that because Seb, uh, Seb was watching it with me and he was like, rewind that because he thought yes. it was so funny. He was well, like, then we back. see him in the credits, right? And he's still <laughs> going at it. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, when I watched it this time around, I'm like, so is this supposed to mean that she missed his heart? Like, is he just kind of like not dead and he's just <laughs> pretending to die slowly yeah. but th- that's another difference right is in this version vampires don't dust when they are staked so yes. there's a lot of bodies around and i feel like that's probably why they changed it for the tv show i feel oh, like yeah. you know you can't get away with as many dead bodies on tv <laughs> yeah it's true and like just having them lying around like the principal was going around detention detention oh my God, the like... principal was the worst like <laughs> The second half of that movie was way funnier than the first half. But, Agreed. And, but what I liked about Pee Wee Herman's character, I think he did what he needed to do. And I think that his balance of the screwball comedy and the horror, I think he actually understood what Joss Whedon wanted this script to be a lot more than Lothos did. Yeah, his performance was really nice because... He embodied the predatory nature of the vampire a little bit better than Lothos. Lothos was like this melodramatic person. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and I don't know uh, Paul Rubin's character's name, but, you know, he seemed like in the scene where he's chasing Luke Perry's character in the mm-hmm. van, <laughs> yep. like he's just completely wild, right? He jumps on the roof and he like tears the roof open and sticks his arm down there. And it's like... <laughs> He's hunting this guy. And, yeah. and it is like that sequence is probably one of the most tense sequences in the whole movie. And by the way, this movie's pacing is bonkers, right? Like, I was not expecting another chase sequence later in the movie where Buffy steals a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, wow, like, okay. It, it just, it's this weird mishmash of different tropes from different genres, which yeah. again contributes to this idea that the movie can't decide what it wants to be. So Pee Wee Herman's character, Emmeline, I remember when I was a little girl being very scared when he grabs David Arquette. Uh, He grabs him from behind as Luke Perry's on the ground drunk and bites him on the neck and pulls him away. And they're on a cliff. So he flew up there and grabbed him and pulled him away. And then the next time we see David Arquette, he's a vampire. And when I was a child, that actually frightened me a lot. So that's why also, that character is scarier to me than than the main villain. Yeah, I agree. That's a great analysis. Yeah. Also, now that I'm looking at the cast list on the Wikipedia page, uh, apparently Seth Green was in this movie as just an extra vampire. Oh. He wasn't credited in the movie, yeah. but that would make him the only actor, as far as I know, who has been in both the Buffy movie and the TV series. <laughs> um, other things I noticed... This movie, much like most of season one of Buffy, as far as we know, 
just calls Buffy's mom Buffy's mom. That's literally how she's credited. Like the first credit that shows up is Candy Clark as Buffy's mom. And yeah, it's just you, like. You messaged that to me because we both watched it on the same night. And you, you told me that. And I laughed so hard. I was like, of course. Of course Buffy's mom is Buffy's mom. But when it comes to Buffy's mom, I'm choosing to carry over her storyline from the movie into Buffy the television show because in the movie they depict her as some vapid LA socialite who mm-hmm. doesn't have any time for Buffy doesn't like obviously it's obviously off doing her own thing a lot and leaving Buffy alone a lot and I like to believe that that's actually true and then when you we come to the TV to the TV show she goes through a separation and a divorce and her daughter gets expelled from school so I think that was a wake-up call for Buffy's mom and she decided to reboot her life and Buffy's life and start new in Sunnydale. And that's why in the first season of Buffy, you and I had constantly talked about how she's she's trying. She's trying really hard to be a good mom and connect to her Buffy and not let her own guilt and her own feelings of failure get in the way of her mothering. And I think that's tied up in a character arc that could have been taken from the movie where she maybe was very absent for the first 14, 15 years, or at least the, first, the last five years of Buffy's life. And she feels bad about that. But she also doesn't know how to engage Buffy at the moment just because she hasn't been that kind of mom so far. Well said. I'm choosing this storyline. <laughs> no, I agree. I think that's no. probably the... Uh, most continuous arc we have between the movie and the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that, like, it's interesting to see how Buffy's character changes, right? Because Buffy's character in the series is obviously a little bit more, um, sh- shall we say, self-aware. <laughs> Whereas the the movie version of Buffy is much closer to Cordelia, which once more shows how Cordelia's character, I think, was created to be this record of who Buffy was mm. before she awakened to her slayer duties and we we see even in the very beginning of season one how being the slayer has forced Buffy to like be a more sober person in terms of her personality mm-hmm. uh, and it's so interesting not going into any spoilers right like that transformation continues for the next seven years Season seven Buffy is serious AF sometimes. Like, she's seen some shit. So it's such an interesting transformation. Yeah, and you can really see that growth. Like, if you take, let's just say we take this, it's the same Buffy. She just happens to be three years younger when we get to the show. But when she gets to the show in the pilot, she's already wiser. She's post-Slayer Enlightenment. Mm Mm-hmm. And that allows Sarah Michelle Geller to go so much further and have more nuance and bring more yeah. gravitas to the character that, unfortunately, Christy Swanson could only portray in a very short training montage <laughs> in the mm-hmm. middle of the movie, right? Because first she was in denial, but then as soon as she realized her destiny, she starts working out, and then boom, she's this other character. So she didn't get that chance to... Yeah, we do see glimmers of future Buffy in Christy Swanson's portrayal, 
Like mm-hmm. most notably, I think, is at the prom scene, you know, Luke Perry shows up prepared. Good for you, Luke Perry. Um, <laughs> and he offers her like all these steaks that he's sharpened and stuff. Yeah. It's much less convenient to stake a vampire when they don't dust because then it's like the steak is stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but she's, he's like, what do we do? And she's like, well, you, you're not going to go anywhere. Like, I'm going to go after them. You're going to stay here. And, and that's very much how Buffy operates in the series, right? Is yes, she has her friends helping her out, mm-hmm. but she never wants to send her friends into danger. So she always gives them like support roles. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you said that there's a glimmer of the show within this film. Absolutely. That's that's one example. Another one is Buffy's prom dress with the leather jacket on top. <laughs> I saw that and I, I forgot about that. So okay. I was literally so... like, oh my gosh. That's a is, yes. was it were they trying to compare or were they trying to do a like an homage like what was that? Okay, so here's a question that may offend you, Steph. I don't know. Luke <laughs> Perry and David Boreanaz, do they not look alike? <laughs> like again, they're both kind of like really light-skinned white dudes <laughs> with black hair and Luke Perry shows up to that prom with his hair slicked way back. This this offends me <laughs> i'm choosing to be offended no 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 um I, once again just like when you compared angel to xander yeah they're they're all pasty white men uh, you know like, i just fine. feel like buffy has a type okay fine yes she does until she gets older obviously but uh, pike in this movie is definitely a m- mashup of xander and angel and yeah, because he's on one hand he's like this loser outcast dork but on the other hand he's like he's like rides a motorcycle and he's got a leather jacket <laughs> like he's a lot of things this guy you know he's also yeah. Luke Perry who was the heartthrob of that time period I, I was aware of who Luke Perry was okay, I just okay. had no idea what he looked like hey, I I was too young to really understand like I came in later for the angels of you know the angel and Pacey Witter from mm-hmm. Dust Creek and all that stuff but uh, he was a big deal, and I, he, they borrowed him from 90210 to come to this movie, and I think he did a really good job of being this love interest for her, but I do, do I think he looks like Angel? No, but definitely his character resembles both Angel and Xander, and what both those characters mean to Buffy. So it was one of those, okay. it's so nice that when Buffy got to Sunnydale, she found Pike in both of these men, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful yeah. for her. But another glimmer of the show was once I mentioned it again, her her prom dress and that leather mm-hmm. jacket, that look. And it makes mm-hmm. me think that Prophecy Girl was calling out to the movie. I agree. I, I think, think that's it's what Joss Whedon was doing. Homage. Yeah, yeah, or Joss Whedon was trying to uh, because he was so angry about the film and he stormed off the set because they weren't doing what he wanted creatively. Uh, and, like, I do sympathize with Joss Whedon <laughs> this one time because it must be really hard to have something that you're so tied in and creative. Like, imagine if you and I had we, – we came up with this podcast idea. We did all the work. We put all the, the ideas together and then give it to somebody else to, to execute and they just, just make it something completely different. It's hard, right? So I That think- being said, um, Disney, if you want to buy our podcast, we have a price. <laughs> Take it. We won't name it on air, but we definitely have a price. Yeah, just just contact us uh, whenever you get a moment. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I do think that for Prophecy Girl, Whedon was doing his version of the movie that he so sadly had to let go of creatively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
Um, something else the movie and the series have in common, although I'm going to say the movie probably does a better job challenging it than season one, is a lot of, like, sexual harassment and even straight-up <laughs> sexual assault. Yes. So, like, I noted a couple of times. Uh, so, first off, we've got Merrick showing up in the girls' locker room. Uh, the locker room! <laughs> and Buffy calls him out. Um, and she's like, what are you doing here? This is a very naked space, right? <laughs> like, immediately. And he looks like a creep, right? He's got a trench coat, and he's got a fedora on, and he's got yes. the shaggy beard. And, and it's, it's like, also, like, Donald Sutherland. He's got this leer about him. <laughs> yeah, like, you could not possibly look like a creepier, pervy dude if you tried. Yeah. And now you're in the girl's locker room. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's going on? Yes, very inappropriate. <laughs> so we got that, and then later on... Uh, one of the characters, one of the like high school boys, slaps Buffy on the ass. Like he, sorry, he grabs her. He gropes her ass. And yeah. at this point, she has come into her Slayer powers, so she reacts by flipping him over and slamming him against a locker and freaking him out and putting the fear of Buffy into him, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And then later after that, when Buffy is stealing a motorcycle to chase after this vampire. Uh, who know who's now recognized her <laughs> um she steals it from some motorcycle guys and they yell at her and they say you want to get some real power between your legs and she says actually yes and then grabs the motorcycle and runs away and they yell after her and they yell a homophobic slur which i'm i'm not going to repeat it's a d word um mm. and, and it's just like it's so interesting to me that we see this in both the movie and in season one of Buffy. It comes up quite a bit, but I think season one doesn't necessarily challenge it as effectively as it could, which is something that we have discussed in previous episodes and something we're going to be discussing or have discussed in the uh, season one recap episode that comes out alongside this one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, the show came five years after this movie, but obviously not a lot has changed in terms of how mm -hmm. we use those words and sexual harassment, the way it's depicted. Yeah, you know what, though? The key difference that makes the show work so well and the movie flop, I think the reason is honestly because of Buffy's group dynamic. And mm. it's Buffy's relationships with very interesting, different dynamic characters that she meets in Sunnydale Buffy is the center, but it's the ensemble cast. It's the ensemble of the whole show and their interactions with each other that make it good. And that's something that the movie showed me more than anything. Because she had, by the end of the movie, she was on her own. Merrick had died. Pike was there, but he was like literally a new thing within the last like couple days of her life. Mm -hmm. She was alone. And I'm like, okay, so what do I like about the show versus what do I, what do I not like? What didn't work here? And so much of what we talk about in the show, we, we don't talk about Buffy all the time. We're, we're actually talking about every character that has development. And that's what makes the show special, I think, is just the ensemble of it all, where this is a very showcase on Buffy. I agree. I, I think that's a really important observation to make. Mm -hmm. um, the, the movie suffers from some inconsistency in terms of the characters, right? Like Merrick getting killed off. Like that's that 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 got to me when I watched the movie, right? Like I did kind of tear up a little bit, but it's also like so random, right? It's just <laughs> there to give Buffy this motivation, 
Yeah. And then, like you said, there really isn't a lot else in terms of people around her. Like, we see her mom twice in this movie, and then her mom's not there, right? Like, she has this boy stay over at her house, and her mom doesn't say anything about that, so I guess mom's not around then. Yeah. We don't know where dad is. (laughs) Um, and, And her relationships with her school friends... Like, the movie tries to show us how they've been strained because there's a scene where her three best friends are preparing a banner for the prom and Buffy shows up late and then she storms out or whatever. And it's just like, like, that scene has a purpose, but it's also like the movie hasn't done enough groundwork to get to that point. It skipped Mm -hmm. a lot of steps in between. Whereas the TV show, right, like, it introduces Xander and Willow and Giles in that first episode. And then over the next few episodes, it slowly establishes that dynamic Mm -hmm. until the end of season one, where that dynamic is firmly entrenched. And obviously, a TV show has more time to do that than a movie. But there are some really good movies that go from zero to 60 in terms of characterization. This just isn't one of them. Yeah, and that isolation just definitely doesn't help. Even the idea that Merrick and Buffy are in this destiny that repeats itself over and mm-hmm. over and over again, and it's just the two of them from what you can tell, that's also takes away from the warmness that the show has where where everything is part of a larger lore and everything has a larger universe to it. The fact that Giles, you know, maybe he was destined to be her her watcher, but he came because the watchers council something we haven't even met yet by season one uh they ordered him there and buffy followed another slayer who wasn't also buffy like it was a different slayer that died and we don't know what we don't know her right so i think just it just having that larger lore around the show versus this movie which only shows us oh it's merrick and buffy versus the world and now it's just buffy because merrick died but i guess he'll be resurrected again who knows i'm confused right so yeah, yeah it, um, it lacked that. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I w- I'm not going to spend too much tra- time trying to headcanon or retcon that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's <laughs> I think it's good that the TV series decided to drop that because obviously they needed to bring in a new watcher since Merrick was dead, um, and they made that decision to broaden the scope of the universe, like you were saying. Yeah, so. and just the, the show is just overall better at balancing personalities. And balancing people. A yeah. larger cast equals... It, a larger cast in a supernatural show uh, could be very difficult to balance. And this a movie shows mm-hmm. that. Like, what is the balance between tone? Is it a, is it serious? Is it a drama? Or is it a comedy? And is it a romance? Like, all these things. Well, the show balances that really well. And the movie Yeah, I, I, th- I think the show holds on to the sense of humor really mm-hmm. successfully. But it recognizes how to use the humor to underline and comment on the darkness. Right. Whereas in the movie, the humor and the darkness are so disparate that it creates these weird tonal shifts. Yeah. So, yeah. I I just want to say to finish this off, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we owe so much to this movie because we (laughs) wouldn't have the TV series without it. Yeah. I think it is a wonderful example of how a writer like Joss Whedon can have this cool idea, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but sometimes that idea doesn't really come to fruition until you've workshopped it a little bit, and maybe it goes through a few incarnations. I I would compare this to Stargate. 
Stargate was originally a movie directed by Roland Emmerich, who also did Independence Day. Um, And later on, a few years after that, MGM turned it into a TV series called Stargate SG-1, which carries on from the movie, but much like uh, the TV series Buffy does, they change a few things. And they change the tone a lot. They get the humor balance a lot better. And it's like the Stargate SG-1 TV series spawned like two spin-off TV series. Uh, it was like one of the longest running science fiction series for a long time. So um, it's just one of those examples of how like, okay, you start off with an idea and it's okay. It's a good idea. But sometimes you don't hit that sweet spot the first time you express it creatively. Yeah. So that's, maybe that's, that's a lesson that creative types can take away from this experience, right? Is if at first it, you don't hit it the way you want, just try it again. <laughs> do it again. And that's what you just said, like workshopping. That's what Broadway shows do, right? You workshop for a long yeah. time until it's right. And then you bring it to the audience. Um, and for me to close it off too, I just want to say now that I've seen, now that we've so thoroughly watched season one, we're about to start season two next week. And I think season one was as campy, you know, camp Buffy season one was that transition from the movie into season two. I think that mm-hmm. this was a really good way to get us there. Season one was that good medium between that and then the rest of the series, which I do think most people start at season two. Oh. All right. Well, thanks for chatting with me about the movie. Anytime. Um, Hopefully, if any of our listeners have watched the movie or now that you've listened to our review, you're like, okay, this is something I need to check out. (laughs) The death scene. (laughs) Um, You know, drop us a line and we will happily take any of your comments and talk about them in a future episode. Booyah. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you've got some comments, message us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. We can't wait to hear from you. See you next week. Bye.